0: glad that you have chosen to be here today and that God has enabled you to come. I trust that you have come with a heart that is hungry for the things of the Lord that you desire to worship and give praise to our great God today. It is always critical that we have we come into his presence prepared to be able to give him worship. So we are glad that you are here. If there are any visitors with us this morning, thank you for coming. Uh, We're glad you're with us. I don't see any new faces. Well, one maybe. Uh, Anyway, we're glad that you're here this morning. Uh, If you would look at your announcements, I'm sorry that we had to cancel our on-mission meal. But as you look around, you can understand why. For some reason, this seemed to hit at a very popular uh, vacation time. Many of our families are away. Uh, this week. And so uh, we felt like it would just be wise with all the various things, the facility issues that we're having with our air conditioning and so on. uh, We felt like it would be wise to go ahead and cancel today, but we'll get that going in September. Looking forward to next Sunday morning after many, many, many months without our training hour. We will begin next week. And so we will have all of our chi- uh, children's classes uh, in the nursery everything will be up and running uh, the classes will be in the same locations they were before the pandemic if you have any questions on that uh, just ask and we'll get you directed to the right place our teachers are excited and ready to go uh, the teens are going to meet in here for the first two sundays and then you'll start your class a little bit later time but be in prayer for our teachers that all these things will go well uh, that logistically everything has been readied and uh, we'll have a good beginning to our training hour. Also next Sunday we're having our uh, parent-child dedication. Uh, we have several that have signed up for that. If you are hoping to uh, participate in this but have not let us know yet we would appreciate uh, you're getting hold of us. You can either contact Lee or contact me Our uh, contact information is in the bulletin so you can look at that uh, please let us know if you have not availed yourself to the opportunity of being a part of to every door it's an uh, outreach program into the west side community that we have done for the past uh, several years i think 11 or 12 years that we have done this and uh, we want to be faithful in taking the gospel to the people around us here jim bone has been kind enough to head this up over the past few summers Uh, We've really just gotten started with it. Even if you cannot come on a regular basis, if you can just come once or twice uh, during our period of time that we're doing that, that would be of help. I know it would be a great blessing to you. Uh, Doing door-to-door visitation is always one of those exhilarating things. You're filled with fear when you start knocking on that first door, but it soon turns to great joy as you have opportunity of presenting Christ to our neighbors. People begin to engage, some people respond well, some people don't respond well, uh, but it is such a beautiful picture of what Christ tells us to do in the New Testament. So that'll be on Wednesday evening. Hope for Appalachia has their annual Walk for Hope, a a real major part of their fundraising program. So please make note of that and participate if you are able to do so. All right, let's take a moment to quiet our minds and our hearts seek to focus upon the Lord coming into his presence, recognizing that God meets with us here. Christ walks among us. As the scripture says, beautiful language that we must embrace by faith and in our heart and mind. And so let's prepare our hearts to come before the Lord with worship. Stand with me as we look at the Word of God, Psalm 61 this morning, a psalm of David. David is the king and he writes this, he is asking for God's blessing upon his life and that he might exalt our blessed God. So you listen carefully, let this be what calls you to worship. Hear my cry, O God, listen to my prayer. From the end of the earth I call to you when my heart is faint lead me to the rock that is higher than i for you have been my refuge a strong tower against the enemy let me dwell in your tent forever let me take refuge under the shelter of your wings for you O oh god have heard my vows you have given me the heritage of those who fear your name prolong the life of the king may his years endure to all generations May be he enthroned may he be enthroned forever before god appoint steadfast love and faithfulness to watch over him. So while I ever sing praises to your name as I perform my vows day after day, might we sing praises to the name of the Lord.
1: Rejoice, Lord.
0: I find it interesting because I have the privilege of leading in the confession of faith uh, many many times just the building blocks that the framers of this confession lay before us one thing building upon another that give us the foundation and understanding of God's truth and our faith in Christ and his eternal salvation what a glorious question and answer today how does Christ's ascension to heaven benefit us First, he is our advocate in heaven, Father, we thank you for the truth of your eternal word. We thank you for the ministry of Christ and the salvation that he has procured for us. Father, we are grateful for the benefits that we have through Christ's death, burial, resurrection, and as we see today, his ascension. Lord, to think that your son, our blessed Savior, sits at your right hand, Interceding for us, praying for us, acting as an advocate, pleading his blood for us as the accuser would come before him. Father, we are so very grateful for that, to know with confident hope that we shall someday be taken from this earth into your presence and there we shall dwell forever. Father, we are grateful for all the wonderful aspects of your ministry to us. I would pray, Lord, that you would work in our minds and our hearts today, help us to stay focused upon you, help us to be able to listen well to your word as it is read, as it is preached, as we see it set forth in the visible words of the table today. Father, as we seek to understand and and have a fuller understanding of the ordinances, the sacraments that you've given to us, your people, a way in which we can rightly respond to the gospel, Father, I pray that we would engage fully heart, soul, and mind as we partake of the table today, as we listen to the message, as we go back into history to find the context of the table, and Lord, might we celebrate that, might our hearts and our minds be able to be there with christ when he spoke to the disciples and then pass that along to us his people so lord we look to you we know that you are among us we know the holy spirit indwells us father that he teaches us that he opens our hearts and our minds to truth that he enables us to set forth and live forth your word so, Lord, to you we give praise and honor and glory. In Christ's name, amen.
1: Please stand and sing. I once was lost in darkest night yet thought I knew the way the sin that promised joy and light and led me to No.
2: From the Gospel of Matthew. Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in the synagogues. And you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake, to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say. For what you are to say will be given to you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated all for my namesake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved.
3: a reading from the epistle to the thessalonians and we also thank god constantly for this that when you received the word of god which you heard from us you accepted it not as the word of men but as what it really is the word of god which is at work in you believers for your brothers became imitators of the churches of god in christ jesus that are in judea for you suffered the same things from the from your own countrymen as they did from the jews who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out and displeased God and opposed all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved, so as always to fill up the measure of their sins. But wrath has come upon them at last. But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and wrath the great desire to see your face, to see you face to face. Because we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again, but but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope, or joy, or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory
1: and joy. Please stand.
4: Corinthians 11 verse 23 first Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 23 and while you're turning there I would just want to thank you all um, for all your prayers your support your kind gifts and just your loving kindness for our family Um, many of you I think everyone knows we did suffer a home fire about a week and a half ago Um, God is good. A neighbor in God's providence, um, a neighbor was coming down the street, saw that there was smoke, went and rapped on the door. God is merciful. All of my family is safe. And we are forever grateful. And to you all, so many washed clothes and re-soaked them and re-washed them and re-soaked them and re-washed them. And and we are grateful. So I just want to say thank you from my family to all of you for uh, your support and your prayers. You all. So, our text, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, I'm going to be reading starting in verse 23. For I have received from the Lord what I also delivered to you that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For if anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. This is why so many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judge ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined, so that we may not be condemned along with the world. Let's pray. Father, we read, here in your word, the uh, the ordinance, Father, that you set forth in the Last Supper that Paul expounds upon here, and Father, we participate in this as the church has since your ascension. Lord, the bread and the cup, Father, you told us to partake in remembrance of you, and Paul here reminds us that it. It's even more than just a remembrance. It's more than just a memorial, but that your presence, Father, is here with us. You are spiritually here with us in communion and in fellowship. So, Fathers, this passage is expounded by Pastor Tim and preached this morning. Father Christ, crucified, will be preached of his body, of his blood. And, Father, as we hear these words, may we examine our own hearts lives, Father, that we will be prepared and ready, Father, to participate. Father, thank you for your love, for your compassion, for us, for your church. It's overwhelming as we think of this ordinance and how throughout this world, believers gather participating in the same, the same body. And throughout the ages, Lord, we've continued this since your ascension. Father, we love you, and we thank you for your love for us. In your name we pray, amen.
0: Thank you, Madison and Greg. Beautiful number. We'll open, if you are not already there, if you didn't turn there, to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We'll continue our series on the sacraments. We have been saturating our hearts and minds with the gospel over these past several weeks. You recall we took five weeks and just looked at some of the gospel, the great defining gospel texts in the epistles. The last three weeks, we have been digging into God's Word about how he ordained. I think Pastor Jason made a very important point last week, if you caught it, that God has given us a way to respond to the gospel. And our response to the gospel is through baptism and through the table. So as we come to the table today to embrace what he is doing, it is our response to the truth of the gospel. Jason spoke in the very first week an overview, which was very important. I trust that if you were not here that week that you will go back and listen to that if you have not. He laid some groundwork there that is critical for us to understand the nature of the ordinances, particularly the table, but both of them as they're related to the covenant. This morning we're going to see that very clearly once again, how it is embracing the new covenant that God has given to his people last week as he finished the great commission text in matthew 28 about being baptized in obedience to the lord and all the things that were wrapped up into that as a testimony of our faith as a disciple a follower of christ that we openly are baptized publicly baptized we had the privilege of watching four teens follow the lord in believers baptism Uh, A wonderful wonderful service this past week and we rejoice in that one other thing that pastor Jason has mentioned two or three times kind of a quote from one of our uh, reformers of years gone by when he speaks about the ordinances particularly uh, baptism but also the table as being visible words visible words one man put it this way, it is a drama of the gospel. It is that which we sit back and watch unfold through what we are partaking of. And so I trust that as we go through this this morning, Pastor Jason, we're going to take this text in 1 Corinthians 11 and split it into two parts. He's asked me to do kind of the historical context Behind the Lord's table or the Lord's supper or communion, whatever term you might use for it. Next week, he's going to deal with kind of the the heart attitude, that horizontal relationship one with another that this particular text is built upon. So I'll not finish up the passage. I'll only go through verse 26. So let's take a moment and just look at this. One man wrote this way regarding baptism, which we've been studying the last three weeks, and the Lord's Supper. Baptism is the covenant sign of initiation. For this reason, baptism is administered only one time. It signifies our relationship of being placed in christ our salvation that moment our justification our union with christ that happens only one time baptism is a one-time event in the life of the believer it is that covenant sign of initiation the lord's supper is the covenant sign of nourishment nourishment This is a term that is used in some of the confessions that we use here. It is a term that, to be honest with you, it is somewhat new to me, although it so aptly defines and helps us understand the richness of the table. When it speaks about nourishment, it speaks about the table as a means of grace, how it builds us up, how it nourishes our relationship with God. The table is never to be observed simply as a means of duty, something we check off the list. It is one of those formal things that you do in the church, you come, you take it, and you do that thing. But it is a place of nourishment, is a covenant sign where we nourish our souls on what God demonstrates to us through the table as we'll see this morning. The Lord's Supper is administered only to members of the covenant community. One of the reasons we fence the table, the table is for God's people. The table is for those who have experienced the grace of God and eternal salvation, whom God has purchased with his blood. The table, the Lord's table is administered only to members of the covenant community who demonstrate the qualifications to commune with Christ by faith in the supper, a quotation taken from a book speaking about the Lord's supper. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 23. Let me make an observation before I read these verses. It's going to be a very important element that kind of develops the framework of our message this morning as we look about the historical context of the table. Paul says, for I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. So Paul is going to look back. He's going to rehearse the past or the historical context of the supper. And he says that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. So he's going to identify it with the Last Supper, the Passover. And we'll look at that in just a moment when they're celebrating the Passover together as a group of Christ with his 12 disciples. He goes on in verse 24. He kind of gives us what we are now presently doing week in and week out. For 2,000 years, we have practiced this as a body of believers, as Christ's church, And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And now he looks to the future. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so the future look is that until Christ comes, the church is to celebrate and observe the table. And so the past, present, and future. Dr. Brian Vickers, who grew up here at Randolph Street, is now a professor at Southern Seminary, wrote an essay on the Lord's Supper. In that, he kind of looks at these key words or the key word in this passage, remembrance. In what way is the table a remembrance? a memorial, if you will. We are to remember something. How is that strategic in our understanding of the table? This is what he says. Listen carefully. It's very interesting. I think you'll find it helpful when we think about this term as it replies to the table. Through memory, we know things, judge actions, and make decisions and future plans. We remember the past, but memory itself is not in the past because in the act of remembering, the past is brought into the present. When we remember the past action or event, we remember it now in the present. On that basis, we consider the future, a future also known only in the present. Memory is a kind of crossroads of past and future in the present. It is looking back but bringing that memory, bringing that reality into the present. It is observing that and in the present, it is looking forward only as we can see the future in the present in the promised context of the past. And it is in the present that we look forward. And so as we come to the table today, I like his term there, it is a crossroads. It is that place where the past and the future come together in the present. What Christ has done for us, the promise of his coming, is celebrated when we partake of the broken body and the cup shed for us. God through the ages established many events to help us remember truths that are critical for our walk and life with him. If you've read very much at all in the Old Testament, you will know that God over and over and over again establishes feast days and holy days, special meals, various things that he would set up. At any great event, he does something that will remind the people of what God has done for them. God recognizing that many times we are a forgetful people, we forget what God has done, the impact of what God has done in and through our lives and for us, it is so easy to lay those things aside. And so God over and over and over again in the Old Testament economy set up ways for us to remember him, the power, the salvation, the various things that he has done for us. And the table is that great act of remembering, remembrance, do this in remembrance of me. Well, we're going to take a little journey today. If you have your Bible or if you have it on your phone, we're going to be flipping through some pages. We don't often do that here. I I think about this in my early days of ministry, we were always moving through the word, you know, that you didn't have various things, the the tools to be able to navigate quite as quickly. And so we're going to be doing that this morning. I'd like for you to turn back, if you would, excuse me, if you would, to Matthew 26. All three of the synoptic gospels record for us the narrative dealing with the establishment of the Lord's Supper what Paul is talking about on the night that Jesus was betrayed. And so we're going to go back to that night and we're going to look at a few things here that I think are important for us in understanding the present. Remember, today, the present is the crossroads of the past with the future. Paul said, and it was very significant in his mind, On the night that Christ was betrayed, this is what's happened. We're passing this along to you. So we want to go back and see exactly what took place on that night. There's a sequence that all of the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, John does not follow this as is often the case. Pastor Jason's going to pick up on a great deal of what John says regarding the supper in his message next week. But I want us to look at just kind of the context here. What they are doing when the supper is instituted is celebrating the Passover. In each one of the Gospels, it speaks about how Judas receives the 30 pieces of silver to betray Christ. Jesus then, on the next day, tells his disciples to go into the city and prepare for the Passover. In just a moment, we're going to go back to the book of Exodus and see what was involved in preparing for the Passover. But it was something laid out and detailed, kind of in a broad way in the book of Exodus. It had kind of been more closely defined through time, and we'll look at that in just a few moments. But he's saying to his disciples, I want you to go in and prepare for the Passover. I want you to get everything ready. I want you to get the unleavened bread ready. I want you to get the lamb ready. Slay the lamb. Do all that is necessary for us to participate in the Passover feast. Also, in each one of these... He speaks about the fact that he identifies or says that someone is going to betray him. He does not publicly identify him, but you kind of get the sense that it is Judas, although they're not fully aware that Judas is the one going to do this. But he speaks about betrayal. In the midst of the Passover meal, and we'll see this in just a few moments as well, Jesus makes a shift Jesus makes a shift that had been in place for years and years and years as they celebrated the Passover, and now he makes and he does something that makes it very, very personal. But he institutes the Lord's Supper in the midst of the Passover meal. That's what's taking place when he institutes it. All right, let's go back to Exodus. 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 Exodus chapter 12. Many of you, I know, are probably familiar with this particular sequence of events that's taking place. You recall that. God establishes a covenant with Abraham. Abraham has a son by the name of Isaac. Isaac has two sons, but the one son is named Jacob. He is later called as Jacob wrestles with the angel, he is renamed Israel. And so therefore, that is how we get the identification of the nation of Israel. You remember that Jacob had twelve sons. One of those sons is Joseph. Joseph was favored of his father, hated by his brothers, and was sold into uh, slavery. The Mennonites take him down, or the Midianites, not the Mennonites. The Midianites take him down into Egypt, and there he becomes a part of that culture. He goes to work in Potiphar's home. You remember he was arrested unfairly and all those various things that took place there. Well, God used those very difficult events in Joseph's life. It says, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. He took him down there to spare the people of God. And so through a sequence of events, Jacob, the whole family, 70 people in the family at that time, moved down to Egypt. 430 years later, 430 years later, those 70 people are now probably more than 2 million people in population. They are a powerful force to be contended with, so much so that the Pharaohs became very afraid of them and put them under very severe bondage lest they rear up their head and do battle against them. And so it is in this context that God is going to deliver his people. You remember he hardens Pharaoh's heart and he brings nine plagues against them. The frogs, the gnats, the lice, the darkness, and all the various things he brought against those people, each one attacking a particular god of the people of Egypt. At the conclusion of those nine plagues, Pharaoh still would not let the people go to sacrifice, would not let them go to have their freedom. And so God now is going to do one grand final plague. This is the plague in which every firstborn Cattle and man throughout the nation of Egypt is going to be killed. And so God is going to bring judgment and wrath upon the enemy of God's people. In so doing, he tells Moses to institute what they're going to call the Passover. He says, this is going to be the beginning of months for you. And you can read all this in... uh, Exodus 12 and 13. You're going to institute these months. It's going to be the beginning of your nation. It's going to be the beginning, and I'm going to lay out how you as a nation will operate in the various laws and commands. I will make a covenant with you through Moses. And so it is through this time, he says, but tonight, on the 10th day, you get a lamb. On the 14th day, you slay the lamb. You roast it. You eat it with bitter herbs. Also, because you're going to be leaving very quickly, you will not have time to leaven the bread. It is going to show forth seven days. You will not eat leaven in the lump. You will eat unleavened bread as a sign of the quick exodus or God's deliverance from the land. And so they go through this and God does deliver them. But when they slayed the lamb, they were to take hyssop, and they were to take blood and put it over the top of the door and down the lentils of the door. And when the death angel, or when God brought his wrath and destruction upon the people and the firstborn was killed, if the blood was over there, God would pass over. God would deliver them. God would not bring his wrath upon them. They would be protected by that blood that was over the lentil. And so this is all the setting. He tells them over and over and over again. Look at verse 14. He says, This day shall be a memorial day. You shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations as a statute forever. You shall keep it as a feast. For seven days you shall eat unleavened bread on the first day. And he continues to talk. Let's go down to verse 26. He says and when your children say to you what do you mean by this service why are we why are we doing this passover year after year after year certainly they had no idea of what was going on they weren't living during that time this is something very far removed hundreds of years in the past to many of them and so when they asked the fathers why are we doing this you shall say to them it is the sacrifice of the lord's passover For he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians but spared our houses. And the people bowed their heads and worshiped. And so it was a sign of God's deliverance and a sign of the exodus where he would take them from the bondage of Egypt and take them into their own land. And so those are the two things that are happening. It was to be remembered for that. So, Jesus, now going back, if you want to go back, let me just pick up some key points of the Passover, if you want to jot these down. One of the points that is seen that is very important in our minds as we think about the setting of the table is that the sovereign God is the cause of these events. God sovereignly brings these plagues. God sovereignly, it isn't that someone else is doing this. God is initiating it, God is carrying it out. God is the one that is completely behind this Passover event. It is a picture of God's divine salvation and deliverance from bondage. The lamb is slain, the blood is applied for the Lord to pass over. The lamb was to be without blemish, completely consumed. You remember they were to eat the lamb. If anything was left over, they were to burn. It was to be a complete sacrifice and no bone was to be broken. It is a memorial reminding them for generations that salvation is of God. And unleavened bread is a reminder of the sudden exodus from Egypt. These all now, as you come into the New Testament situation, Jesus Christ has come. As we saw in the book of Hebrews, so many times these sort of things are a shadow of what Christ is going to fulfill. The sacrifices, the tabernacle, Moses, these various things are all fulfilled in Jesus. Listen to how Jesus is introduced at the beginning of his earthly ministry. John the Baptist is baptizing Jesus is coming. He says the next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, behold, the Lamb of God, with that direct tie-in to the Passover lamb, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Again, he introduces him the following day when he says, behold, the Lamb of God. When Paul writes the church at Corinth, Speaking to them about the impact of what Christ should have in their life. He says, cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump. For Christ, our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. And so oftentimes we're looking back at the Passover. Jesus is the fulfillment of these things. I'm saying all these things to us to put us in mind of what was like that night when Jesus gave these things. So the Passover is what they're celebrating. Jesus says, go and prepare the Passover. Get a lamb, take care of these things. There's so much that we could go on. We could go on, on, on. I don't want to be too long this morning. So many things tie in here. But he's speaking to them, and so they come now. So let's let's go back to Luke this time, Luke's account. Luke 22. In verse 7, it talks about the day of unleavened bread that begins the feast, the day the Passover lamb is to be sacrificed. And so this is taking place, and we come down to verse 14. And when the hour came, he reclined at table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. One of the things that's interesting here is that when Jesus institutes the table that we will celebrate, there's no lamb at all connected to it. So what Jesus is going to do here is to make a very subtle and yet important transfer from the Passover to himself. And this is going to be key for us. Let me take you through what would have happened that particular night just the sequence of them coming together and eating the table. The meal began with the blessing being pronounced over the first cup of red wine and passing it to the others present. This is how Jesus and his disciples would have celebrated the Passover feast. There were four cups of wine to be passed around during the meal. Following the first cup, The bitter herbs dipped in a fruit sauce were eaten in a reminder of the meaning of the Passover. You remember a part of what is taking place is that the Passover was to be a reminder. And so Jesus no doubt would have rehearsed the various aspects of the Passover with the 12 disciples. These were things that were just took place each time. It was the significance, the purpose of the Passover lamb. Then part of the psalms were sung of the hallel which is psalms 113 through 1 uh, and 114 and so they would have stopped they would have sung those psalms they're very interesting if you want to write those down read them a little bit later on psalm 113 114 then the second cup was passed and the host would break and pass around the unleavened bread now this is where Jesus now talks about him Let's go down to it. Um, I'll just continue reading verse 16, if you're in in Luke uh, 22. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. So he's going to eat the Passover before he suffers, but he'll not again eat the Passover until it's fulfilled. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, take this and divide it among yourselves. And so the cup is divided among the people there. For I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And so we see that forward look until Christ comes, until he comes in his kingdom. Verse 19, And he took bread, the bread that is signifying the exodus, the bread that is signifying the sudden departure. So he takes the unleavened loaf of bread and he breaks it and begins to distribute it. But he makes a very major change here he says this this is my body that which i am passing to you is not simply the historical bread that was broken the unleavened bread that signified the sudden departure the exodus god's deliverance but this bread is my body this bread is me being broken for you. I am giving myself in order for you to have not an exodus from Egypt, but a deliverance from sin, a deliverance from the bondage of sin, the bondage of wrath. I am giving myself. So Jesus makes this transfer. James Hamilton puts it this way. Jesus presents his body broken for his people as the new exodus replacement of the bread eaten in the Passover feast commemorating the exodus from Egypt. Now to us, this is not necessarily significant because we've never been through a Passover meal. Has anyone here been observed a Passover meal? Maybe some have, I don't know. But if you can imagine yourself there with the disciples that night with Jesus... And Jesus making that declaration, this is my body, you partake of it to remember not the unleavened bread of the Passover, but my body, which is given for you, that I might provide you release from bondage through what I am going to do, all speaking about his death on a cross. After the bread was broken, and passed around, it says the meal of the roasted lamb was now eaten. The third cup after this was passed around and then the rest of the psalm was sung. It was this third cup that Jesus used to speak of his blood being poured out. It represented that which was placed over the doorpost for the Passover, but he's going to make a significant difference here. And let's go down now to verse 20. And likewise, the cup, after they had eaten, so the Passover is done, he's identified himself as this unleavened bread, the bread that is broken for them. He now says, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Again, tremendous significance when he says this. We don't think so much of it. We don't think so much of the old covenant as being for us and a part of this. We don't think so much of the new covenant even so much. Pastor Jason spoke of this as being one of the very key elements, not only of baptism, but the Lord's table, this new covenant. Let me take just a moment and look at this covenant. Jesus identifies the cup as a symbol of the new covenant that he is entering into with his people. Jeremiah 31 behold the days are coming declares the Lord when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, the Passover event. My covenant that they broke though I was their husband declares the Lord. this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days declares the Lord. So this is the new covenant. Not the old covenant that was begun and established with the Passover event and then the giving of the covenant at Sinai. We'll read in just a moment. It says, I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God. They shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, Know the Lord. Why? For they shall all know me from the least to the greatest declares the Lord. I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. So it wasn't just something to ethical Israel. It was to a special people, a people redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ a people that he would write their law upon their heart. He would give them life. He would forgive their sins. He would erase those things. This is a new covenant, not the old covenant, not a continuation of the old covenant. The old covenant is done away with Jesus Christ now is establishing a new covenant. All these promises, when we come today, we will read from this passage in 1 Corinthians about the new covenant. You think about what God has established with us. Not an old covenant, not the sacrificial system, not all those things, but Jesus Christ is our God. We are His people. He has forgiven us, He has given us eternal life. We know the Lord. Every time we celebrate the table, we are remembering that day to the disciples. Jesus takes the cup and he looks forward to what he's going to do on the cross. He speaks of the fact that he is going to initiate and give a a new covenant. And the sign, the seal of that covenant is going to be his blood. It will be established and kept and sealed by the worth of his blood. The old covenant was established in a sense by the blood. Let me read from Exodus 24 at the establishment of the old covenant. It says, And he sent young men of the people of Israel who offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen to the Lord. And Moses took half of the blood from these sacrificed offerings and put it in basins. And half of the blood he threw against the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant. You remember that he established the the 10 commandments and also many other parts of the covenant and he read it in the hearing of the people and they said all that the Lord has spoken we will do and we will be obedient and Moses took the blood and threw it on the people and said behold the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words it isn't physical blood that Jesus cast upon us It is the blood of Jesus Christ sacrificed on the cross, a once-for-all, complete sacrifice for us. That is the seal. When we come together, the cup, the cup we will drink, just as Jesus says, this is the cup of my blood. It is the new covenant in my blood. So it has tremendous significance, if you can imagine being there that night and hearing those words. For us, they're so commonplace. But for them that night, it was so different to people with a Jewish heritage in the early church where they had celebrated these things. For Paul to say, I want you to know that what I am giving to you as this ordinance from the Lord, it was given to me by the Lord. It took place Jesus instituted this when he was in the midst of celebrating the Passover. It is connected to the history. It is connected to the old covenant, but it is a sign of a brand new eternal covenant with the people he will redeem by his blood. The bread that is broken isn't just the unleavened bread, which was a sign of the Exodus, it is my body. And my body is broken for you. I am providing a release from bondage. I am giving you a way of bondage or a way out of the bondage of sin. I am delivering you. I am saving you. All the glorious language that we've been talking about in the gospel of the freedom that we have in Christ, the union that we have with him, the freedom over sin, from the penalty of sin, the power of sin, and someday even the presence of sin. All of that is accomplished by Jesus on the cross. I am giving myself for you. The radical nature of this in its setting is amazing. It's heart-gripping. It is something that we should treasure and appreciate as this drama is played out through the bread and the cup as you will receive it in just a few moments. The fourth cup then celebrating the kingdom. You remember it says that they sung a hymn and went out. After they would partake of this last cup, they would finish up singing the halal and they would be dismissed from the Passover feast. And so all these things are taking place as they go. And Jesus, within a 24 hour time frame, is going to be that Passover lamb sacrifice for us. The blood will give us complete forgiveness. We will be justified. Our sins placed on him. We are forever delivered from the wrath of God. All those beautiful, glorious promises. And truths of the gospel are wrapped up in the table. Oh, it is so critical for us to be able to understand this. The present, we look at the past. We glory in the grace of God. We celebrate that. We have done this for 2,000 years. Roger said this in his prayer. Can you imagine? For almost 2,000 years, God's people... In homes, and then among the believers as they met in places wherever that might be, the meeting place that God has been with them, celebrating this truth. People in every nation and all the peoples of the earth where God has a people for Himself celebrate this. I think about East Asia, they're celebrating this, no doubt today. In Spain, all the people, the millers, the various people all around the world come together around the great person and sacrifice of Jesus Christ. It is central. And we will do this until he comes. We will proclaim through these visible words, Christ's death until he comes. Let me read a quote that I think summarizes what I've said. I always hate doing this because I always think people said, you know, it'd be a whole lot easier if you would just read that at the beginning and spared us all these moments. But you listen. The words selected are so beautiful. The banquet of the Lord's Supper as presented by the gospel is as rich and deeply aged as the finest wine that could be imagined. It looks back to the cross as the place of Jesus' broken body and poured out blood. It looks around at the present with its emphasis on communion with each other and the presence of the risen Lord with his people. And it looks forward to the day when this meal will be seen as a mere tidbit. Oh, I like this. As a mere tidbit from the buffet or the banquet buffet of the coming marriage supper of the Lamb. Revelation 19 speaks about that great day when we participate in the marriage supper of the Lamb and these things will be completely fulfilled. That forward look will be present tense. Oh, I trust that this will enrich your hearts as you participate in the table, not only today, but moving forward. We sometimes use the word fence, placing a fence, a protective thing around the table. We do so not in any way to demonstrate a superiority, but simply to understand the nature of the table, the nature of the table is that which God has made with his people, a people he would redeem. And so it is for people who are believers. If you're not a believer in Christ today, we would ask you to observe. We would ask you in faith and repentance to come to Christ, to know him, the one who has died for sins. But the table is for God's people not just people of Randolph Street. If you are a believer, a follower of Christ, whether you're a member of this particular body, you come and participate in that. I want to ask the elders if you would please come at this time and prepare to serve the table. Deacons, if you would get in place to dismiss the people in just a moment. We're going to ask you to come forward. You will receive a piece of bread, the cup, You will be told that this is the body and blood of Christ, just as Jesus said here in the presentation, the giving of the table. From experience, I appreciate your spirit as you come to the table. I rarely ever look into anyone's eyes that just seem to be glazed over without any sense of what they're doing. I see people who are appreciative, and I hope this message today will enrich that nourishment to your soul as you come and partake of the table. Our Father, I pray indeed that you would use this survey of the table historically to the Passover, to the giving of it in the midst of Christ's last supper with his disciples. Lord, there's so many things that could have been said that were passed over. And Lord, I pray that as your people read these words, maybe later on this afternoon, that these things would come to their mind. Oh, God, use your word to enrich your people, to help us celebrate today, to remember, to remember what you have done for us on the cross and give thanks and praise and worship to you this day. In Christ's name, amen. Try to put yourself back into that first century church. Put yourself back at that night of the Passover when Jesus' disciples hear this and then begin to see the events unfold as he dies, buried, resurrected, ministers to them, ascends to heaven, all these things, and then they begin so fervently to practice these things, to remember what Christ had said that night. My body for you, he would say. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. The same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Now take a moment and try to imagine Revelation 19 great banquet supper of the Lamb with God's people through all the ages gathered together. Jesus is introduced as the Lord God Almighty reigns and he comes and he celebrates the glorious truth of his salvation for his people that we are one. We are his bride. Oh, what a glorious truth. Paul would say, for as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Father, thank you for your word. Help us always to be good students of your word, not simply for academic reasons, but to know you better, to understand our faith better, to understand the gifts and the riches that you have given to us as your people, to understand these visible words that we live out over and over and over again within the context of our Christian life. Father, might they nourish our souls for your honor and for your glory. Hear one more time from God's holy word to rest upon our hearts as we walk into our week. First Timothy six, which He will display at the proper time. He who is the blessed and only Sovereign, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in inapproachable light, whom no man has ever seen or can see. To Him be honor and eternal dominion. And God's people say. Amen.